Welcome to another episode of Steady Lads. I'm Jordi, the CIO of Selena Capital. Uh, we have today with us a special guest, but let's kick off with a quick intro to Justin, the CEO of Astaria. We have uh, Taiki, the humble farmer who has recently been a RWA DJ. <laughs> and uh, we have Austin Federa, who uh, has graciously come to discuss all kinds of interesting topics around not just Solana, but uh, you know the broader economic systems of what you know crypto is building. So welcome, Austin. Thanks for having me. I guess to uh, to preface, you know, there, there's been some uh, Twitter background here, and it's kind of what got your attention and managed to get you on here. So that, so that's good. I think uh, we can maybe put up a little back and forth that we, we've been having, um, mainly around this concept of a token being like a monetary uh, product and not being, you know, as like a stock in, in essence, like a, a discounted cash flow. This is something that for how much money depends on the on the right answer to this question. There is like, you know, not, nowhere near enough discussion or understanding of this topic. And uh, so recently, you know, I, I kind of put forward some, uh, some points around, you know, ethically it, around distribution uh, for monetary premium products. And um, I'm fascinated with some of your uh, responses around, you actually don't think none of the cryptos, uh, not, not, not just Sol, um, are, are money, but uh, we'll, we'll get into that. And I think it's going to make a fascinating episode, but maybe just for context, first of all, you can kind of tell us like, what is your role uh, with Solana and, and kind of like how long you've been doing that? Yeah, so I currently work for the Solana Foundation, where I'm the head of strategy. Uh, I joined the Solana ecosystem in January of 2021. Before that, I was with Bison Trails up until their acquisition by Coinbase. Uh, and I initially joined Solana Labs kind of working on product and product marketing and sort of had a bit of a chief of staff role at Solana Labs. And then uh, in spring of 2022, I moved over to the Solana Foundation side of things. Nice. So you've, you've yeah. seen uh, all kinds of different sides of, of what's going on. And I'm sure things change, you know, at the beginning, oh, yeah. SPF was like a cheerleader. And I know he was not as involved later on when, when things were, were actually getting built. But uh, there was the infamous, you know, sell me all your solid $3 tweet, which um, I have to admit, like that was probably when I first bought Solana. <laughs> I don't know about Justin or Taiki, but I'm like, well, this guy's backstopping it at $3. I bought it at $2. <laughs> this seems like a good trade. Did you guys buy in at that time? Uh, I actually didn't. Um, I was on the sidelines. I was kind of an EVM maxi at the time. Um, and I think EVM uh, still has significant moats. Um, and like one question I had for Austin is like, recently I was looking into the Solana ecosystem. Um, I got on a call with the Hubble team. Like they're building yeah. Hubble, like USDH, Camino Finance and whatnot. Um, and I posed the question of like, why are all these tokens so illiquid? Because at least on EVM, there are, you know, market, market makers, um, whether it be retail or institutional, but for Solana coins, the liquidity is under a million for most of them. Um, do you think like, are there systemic or are, are there like structural reasons for that? Um, because it makes it really, really hard for me to participate um, in the Solana ecosystem. I think there there are, and the most basic answer is the average Ethereum user is much richer than the average Solana user. Uh, the token has had a much longer time to appreciate. There's been a lot of people who got in at Ethereum when it was $80 and it's 2000 today. And so there's just more free-flowing cash in the Ethereum ecosystem than there is in the Solana ecosystem. And I think it's like uh, it, it's important to recognize that no one is an LP in Uniswap for basically any good reason. Right. There, there's no economic incentive to participate in those pools besides your A16Z and you hold a bunch of uni tokens and you want to make sure their market share is maintained. Right. And so there's a lot of systemic relationships that you see on Ethereum um, that are great. And it's not to not to knock any of that stuff. But I think what you've seen is that uh, on, on Solana, that part of the ecosystem is still maturing because the firms that have high conviction on Sol. Some of them are regulatorily boxed out from, from market making and those sorts of things. Um, and then I think, you know, very reasonably, a lot of people who were not deep in the Solana ecosystem felt some insecurity and some doubt about whether Solana was going to make it through the collapse of FTX. And I don't fault anyone for that. I think 
uh, what happened with the collapse of FTX and sort of the perception that they were really closely involved with the Solana ecosystem would have killed almost any other blockchain out there. I think it's like Ethereum and Bitcoin are probably the only two that could have gotten through something like that. So I don't, I don't fault people for being a little gun shy of the ecosystem. But what we've seen over just the last few months is like folks who have not been paying attention to the Solana ecosystem are starting to pay attention to the Solana ecosystem again. And it's really awesome to see, but I think we'll probably see institutional capital follow a lot of that excitement and attention. But yeah, I agree with you, it's, it's, a, it's a problem today in the Solana ecosystem that especially some of the smaller market cap tokens, especially some of the sort of you know very Solana native projects, um, there is not as much liquidity available. Now, what I will say is that things like Jupiter Aggregator are incredibly capital efficient. They're about seven to 10 times more capital efficient than DeFi and other chains, which means they can handle a lot more small orders. But obviously, if you're talking about big orders, liquidity is liquidity. Justin, how about you? When did you first kind of uh, start looking at the Solana ecosystem or at least, you know, be curious and, and investigate it? Yeah, a lot, a lot of people don't know this about me, but I'm a, a very big Solana fan, actually. So I've, I've got my Solana phone right here. Um, it's not my my daily phone. That's an iPhone. But I am I love Solana because they're willing to try stuff like that. I mean, uh, I think that's just absolutely brilliant to build like a seed vault, seed vault into your phone to secure your private key. Um, and I think more projects should be trying these like big, bold experiments, which I absolutely love. Sadly, though, I've always sort of uh, left cur or mid-curved it, and I've never owned a considerable amount of Solana, and so I'm certainly coping now as it's done so well. So congrats to, to the community there. Uh, but no, I sort of missed out. I missed uh, the $2 call. Jordy, you didn't text me to, to buy Solana at $2 before SBF's tweet, so I missed that. And then... Um, you almost had another you know, opportunity. Just, <laughs> I just keep fumbling the bag, I guess. Yeah. Um, you know, it was a scary time. It was... I. I, I I, I will uh, I will admit that the I was relatively new to uh, crypto at the time when when this whole like uh, FTX thing was happening, and the person who alerted me to buy Solana will surprise people. <laughs> it was actually Suzu. Uh, <laughs> he 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 was just like, "Hey, this SPF guy, he's gonna backstop this. Like, you should just go max long." Um, so good trade. I got in at two dollars. I put in what I thought was like, you know, a good chunk. I, I put in like a six-figure amount. Um, and I sold it at $6. You know, I was I was a TradFi guy. I thought like a 3X, I thought like 3X is, is like incredible. I'm like, wow, made hundreds of thousands of dollars on this. And I didn't even have to do anything. And it moved in like so fast. It was like, a, it was like within like a month or something, right? Like it, it kind of exploded after that. Um, because like from a trader standpoint, from a risk reward, you know, it's all about risk reward when you're putting a trade on. Once like the the the, the risk is kind of, you know, you, you could say that maybe SPF wasn't fully legitimate now that we know, but at the time he looked like to be like, you know, this high-flying billionaire. And if he's saying I'm backstopping at $3, then the price discovery has to happen above it. And so once that sets in, it's just such a great trade because, uh, you know, it's only upside, it's asymmetric. So that was my first foray. Um, I watched it skyrocket from six to 50 over the next months. Bummed the hell out of it because I was, I was quite a big fan at the time. Um, and then there was a dip to $20. It went from 50 to 20. So this was probably going to be uh, sometime in 21. That's uh, right. Uh, yeah. Mid, mid 21 maybe. And so I, I'll admit like my, the most money I, I've made in my life, I think it's kind of close between like a, a very large treasury Kind of macro trade I'd, I'd done at some point, and I bought a huge chunk of Solana at twenty dollars. I wrote it up all the way. I mean, I went to breakpoint in twenty one with a, a big bag. I, I didn't sell any; I had just staked it. It ended up becoming like half of my net worth or something. It was, it was just like a ridiculous bag. <laughs> I thought I'm like hot shit. You know, I show up. I own like you know many many bips of like the total supply going around. And I just remember this one moment being in a car going to like this, like they're having these crazy parties, you know, Delphi and like everybody was like, you know, blinging out and mansions. And I, somebody brought up uh, on Twitter, there was this Chamath thing where he's talking about how, you know, he's gotten billions of it, makes my bag suddenly look very small at a discount. And he's like, oh, I'm holding it ish. And then they're all kind of like laughing, all these like David's, you know, you, this, this is your crew, Justin. You know, the all-in crew is kind of like, 
and I would say that that kind of uh, lit a light bulb in my head. And I'm like, oh shit, like this is this is a bit of a three three going on here. Um, and uh, that morning, once I slept on it, I I sold everything, and it, it you know it was a huge trade. It made a lot of difference to my. Uh, so I'm not like first of all, you know, I like Solana. <laughs> I'm not bitter in any way. Uh, it's done very well for me. But that moment is something I want to discuss with you, Austin, because it kind of brought this this forefront of like, you know, distribution and and the potential for certain players to have a lot of power over uh, over a community. So, um, any 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 thoughts on as a, as a preamble? Yeah, I mean, I'm not really sure that Ethereum is immune from that same sort of thing. Right, there's there's a lot of folks who were early in the Ethereum ICO days who sold at the top in 2021, uh, or sold at the top in 2018. Right, the, these exact same market cycles are sort of all wrapped up in this, uh, and you know Joe Lubin like has sold a lot over the years. Right, I, I don't think we should necessarily view selling as a problem. Right, that is a basic dynamic of a healthy market. Um, I think it's also pretty crazy to something like Chamath crashed the entire crypto market by selling some of his soul, right? I think that is like also a statement that is not really one you could you could really back up. Um, but oh, I don't think he sold. I think I think he like round tripped it. But the fact that he was like threatening to do it, the fact that yeah, he potentially I, had that had that power uh, is not something that I'm comfortable with somebody having over a community. Like, look, like if there's if there's a cash flow, it's different because yeah, sell it, somebody buy it. Like you're getting the like someone's going to exchange the cash flows. But if there's no cash flow, you know, or the cash flows in 20 years, or, you know, I mean, I, I do want to ask you, like, you know, how far out you think a potential, um, you know, uh, profitable cash flow could, could come. But at that point, like you said in your tweet there, like monetary crypto is sort of a meme. Yes, um, very much so. Right. So do you think like Bitcoin is nowhere near being sort of like a money or what, what's your take on? So uh, let's start with the ethereum is money crowd because i get his, like anthropologically why that came up right this is at a time when everyone's like ether is not a security it's something and there weren't enough lawyers in the room to say the word commodity and instead the community just sort of settled on this term money right and you'd see everyone from a kasib at dragonfly to you know everyone else sort of repeat this idea that eth is money well how much stuff have you actually bought with eth what percentage of VCs investing in the Ethereum community distribute ETH versus USD, right? The, the, the idea that ETH is money is like very tenuous at best because A, it fluctuates by 70% in a year. That is not a good characteristic of money. That is not a stable long-term asset. Bitcoin is the same problem. Solana has the same problem. Tesla stock has the same problem. Netflix stock has the same problem. Right. I, there, there's all of these different types of systems out there where if you look at them, they actually have very few characteristics of what money has. I think it's even tenuous to say gold is a money. Right. I don't think we would look at, at gold in the in the existing, you know, totally off blockchain world and say gold's money. We'd say gold is an intrinsic store of long term value that is widely accepted by many people in many jurisdictions all around the world. So is oil. Right, so are oil futures. Like, there's lots of different systems out there that have durable value and high redemption across multiple jurisdictions. That is not a definition of money, though. So uh, I am a bit surprised to hear you say that gold is not money, because I would say that in most, uh, you know, traditional circles, it's kind of considered, you know, base money in, in a in a form. Are diamonds that... money? Um, is oil money? So oil has like the potential to back money i would say it, it, i think sure. there's no doubt there's there's that potential um, yes. but it's not something that you can give somebody i can't give you oil right like i'm not gonna so like, carry, carry it around but i could give you a gold coin uh, and that's, that's kind of what people have done for like thousands of years but that's only because of the weight of gold versus oil right like are diamonds money then uh not, like, does, not, does money not... have to be something you can put in a bag and physically hand to someone? In that case, like, you know what I mean? It's like a lot of these things, if you actually push them to what it means for something to be money, there's a few characteristics of it. 
I think we could probably say some form of global redemption and global acceptance across multiple yes. jurisdictions falls into that category. And then yeah. some form of stable or at least durable value, right? And that's where gold has done historically well. It doesn't go up much, doesn't go down much. It's, it's roughly stable throughout the last, let's call it 200 years. Yeah. What is, okay. what is your statement that gold is not money based on? Uh, that it's not used to buy anything. It's not used as a form of currency. No one buys anything in gold, right? It, well, you, even, you could say even that, the libertarians you know, I, who have bunkers yeah, don't buy it in gold. That's it, true. It's not a anymore. durable store of value, right? Yeah, I mean, like maybe we're talking about since Bretton Woods, it's no longer money, right? I think obviously beforehand, when when you had most currencies in the world based on a gold reserve that was a one-to-one backed system, sure, gold at that point is money. But we we live in a world where gold is no longer money. It's just a incredibly durable commodity that's also highly liquid so your your thesis is that uh money in essence is something that you're kind of not looking at the store value so much you're looking at the the means of transaction out of like those those three sort of you know famous infamous categories of money yeah so uh here's i guess what i might say is is the u.s dollar money i would say i would say it is so stamps are also money then, right? Stamps um, are legal tender in the United States that all banks and all merchants technically have to accept. I would say it, it probably is, yeah. I don't know if it's good money, but it's a right. form of money, yeah. But then are treasuries money? Treasury bonds, U.S. treasury bonds of the government? Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, I kind of see it as like stake ETH versus ETH. It's like is stake ETH ETH. Um, you know, you can make it into ETH, so it's 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 adjacent. It's money adjacent. Yes, and th- this is kind of my argument: is that like it's very hard to actually have an honest definition of money that includes Ethereum, Bitcoin, Solana, any cryptocurrency. I, I think you can call the money adjacent. You can see like how close is it to this thing being accepted as money, and Bitcoin's probably the closest. Um, and in some countries, like this is the thing that gets complicated here. In some jurisdictions, I think Bitcoin is functionally money, right? If you look at Venezuela, if you look at Turkey, uh, if you look at Ukraine before uh, you know the invasion and war there, those were areas where there wasn't much belief and stability in the local currency. And so if you bought Bitcoin when it was $70,000, you're still massively up compared to the local currency in Venezuela or Turkey because those countries have such high inflation. But that's what right. I mean. Be like the usage of money is very important to the definition of money. If something is not commonly accepted as tender within an economy, it it is it is not money, right? It is something else. You could so make an argument you, you, that yeah, cigarettes in a I, prison I, are money, right? Yeah, you, you kind of uh, you, you do highlight effectively that the term money is um, used by different people in different ways and can mean different things and does not have enough clean definition. So let's avoid, you know, getting into you know the definitional game. Ultimately, we kind of see that there's there's two forms of things, right? One is what you've described as transacting right away. I want to buy something right now. What am I using to give somebody that thing? Is is kind of like one way to look at money. The thing that I care about more, you know, ethically, philosophically, is like what is the long term sort of value? What am I kind of uh, working today so that like in th- thirty years my kids can go to college? And, and use the work that I, that I did back then sort of like as a store of work. Um, and, and this is something that is important from an ethical standpoint because this is where all the theft happens, right? Like you have a fiat currency and then they, you know, the president of Turkey builds himself some, you know, billion dollar sure. mansions and like you just get hyperinflation and then your kids are not going to college. They're going to like, you know, uh, McDonald's. So um, this, this is kind of like <laughs> a form of money, right? Uh, and when it comes to monetary premium, presumably, this is kind of maybe where like the crust of our disagreement comes in. You might think that monetary premium is because of the transactional nature uh, of like being able to freely, quickly transact in something. And maybe I, I see that the monetary premium is more, um, you know, people assuming that the, over many years, this this will hold value. Yeah, but like holding value over a long period of time is not a definition of money. Like I, I could show you a lot of New York real estate 
that holds value extremely well over a long period of time and actually increases in value. And I could argue that, you know, a lot of these apartments, even in, you know, the, the depths of COVID, were trading because there was so much demand for certain kinds of them. I think you could talk about like a Van Gogh probably falls into that same category, right? There there are classes of things in this world that whether it's because Russian oligarchs really want them and they see it as a good store of value or whatever the, the function of it is, um, they have the characteristics you're talking about, but we don't call them money. If I, if I can hijack the conversation a little bit here, like, do you think the crypto community, I mean, most of the crypto community, uh, they hold Bitcoin either um, and there's a tribalistic nature, right? Where the yeah. Ethereum community eventually wants to flip Bitcoin because they think it's better. Um, and Justin, I put a you know a link to a tweet here by Buffalo, um, who I think is the founder of Gito. Yes. Um, do you think there's an obsession, like within the crypto community, around you know like monetary premium, trying to be money? Um, do you think Solana is trying to be like a different type of a new asset? Like, a, like are you trying to create like a new paradigm? Like, what 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 is? Like, yeah, you're, you're like the head of strategy at Solana. Like, what is the strategy around value accrual for the sole yeah. asset? Yeah. So so what I would say is that. It makes a lot of sense for people who hold a lot of a specific asset to advocate for that asset to go up in value. And I don't know if that's moneyness, but like that is effectively what we're we're talking about here, right? There, there's a there's a group think in a lot of crypto communities that has decided X or Y or Z will make this thing implicitly more valuable in the long term, which I also want to say is very much not what money is. You don't you don't hold money expecting it to go up in value. Let's let's get away from the definitional stuff because maybe that is money for something. Like, you know, you it's can go to the dictionary. Though. Like, and, no economist well. defines money that way, right? This is this is what I mean by like, there's like the cryptos invented a bunch of ways of talking about stuff that don't actually reflect what these words mean to like economists, right? Yeah. First of all, like, uh, I would not respect many economists. <laughs> Being an economist myself, um, it's not it's not sure. uh, you know the, the <laughs> I, I kind of look at the, the more practical rather than academic standpoint. Ultimately, um, you know, you can think from first principles and monetary yeah. concept is a social concept. It doesn't have anything to do with, you know, what, what the weight is or, you know, you, can you put it in a bag or, or whatever, even like how much there is. Ultimately, it's an agreement between society that this is how we are counting the beans in terms of, you know, who can get who to do what. And uh, yes. I, I bring up this like heavy word of like slavery sometimes because that's the same as slavery. Like if you can tell somebody what to do, whether because you're, you know, they're starving and the only way they can, they can get food is if you give them what society agrees is money and then that's, that's how they survive. Or because like, you know, you're doing it by force. It, it's sort of the same thing in the sense like, yes, they are forced to do something that the person with the power says that they need to do, right? So- um, I agree with you on if, that. Yes. Okay. Great. So, if for hundreds of thousands of years gold was that kind of role in society, where pirates would, you know, go to a ship and and take the gold, and then nobody would deny them the ability to use that gold to buy stuff because that was the socially accepted currency, right? Um, yeah. Now, now you could say the U.S. dollar is 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 obviously one of those. Yes. And um, you know, Bitcoin is trying to create enough of a global acceptance as a macro asset and ultimately uh, a sort of form of gold, digital gold. That's obviously the, the the meme, right? It's a little bit difficult if you don't consider gold to be money to then consider Bitcoin to be money because I think it's even more of a stretch than, than gold is because from a society standpoint, this is you know very new, right? Yeah. And, and to, to be clear, I think gold's closer to being money than Bitcoin or Ether is. Um, yes. But, you know, again, this is like, you know, well, we, we can move past the definitions here, but I think it's it's really important to to know that money has to be accepted, right? Money has to be transacted as something other than a commodity, right? The, the modern version of this is, you know, pirates seize a container ship and they sell off the, the assets of it. That doesn't suddenly make what's on a container ship gold any more than the pirate stealing gold does. It just means it's a highly liquid thing, right? Don't... Don't you guys think this sort of um, debating the definition of money is some sort of obfuscation of like the question behind the question? Because I think the real question here is, 
we have a thesis for why Bitcoin has value, why Ethereum has value. Those theses could be correct. They could be wrong. We can talk about that later, yeah. but we're here to talk about Solana. So if we don't think Solana's yeah. money, like what, what are we, what, what's, what are, what are you buying? Where's the value coming from? Why is Solana, why should it be worth a dollar, a penny, a hundred dollars, et cetera? Totally. Maybe you can share your thoughts on that a bit. Yeah. So I think the best way to think of Solana is similar to SaaS. Right In the early days of SaaS, the profit margins were astronomically lower than what Oracle was making or IBM was making or any of those companies at the time. But the TAM for SaaS was a thousand times larger than what Oracle could ever hope to sell with their $20 million a year contracts. And so Solana is a long-term bet that blockchain technology is going to underpin a lot more of the internet and of our daily lives and of our financial world than we do today. And if that's the case, right, if you start to get a world where you have 20 million people transacting on Solana every day, what, these, these economics that look like there may be a problem today look very different when you have a huge amount of daily active transactions and daily active users. And the flip side of that, I would say, is that if you look at what's happened with Ethereum, it's, it's economically unusable today with a infinitesimally small user base, right? The optimization to go for deflationary fee-based systems this early in the adoption cycle, um, I, th I think is potentially a problem that the Ethereum community has to work through around long-term. If we're not increasing uh, the data availability layer, how are we actually going to make sure that this stuff is usable? Because L2s are already in the, the, the dollar to several dollar gas fees during periods of high usage. Right. I mean, I don't know if that if that's a fair argument because the type of use cases that potentially, you know, Ethereum and that secure um, settlement layer is maybe going after, like you said, the average user, maybe it's richer, or maybe it's just the same users, but they're using Ethereum for, you know, securing high value, um, you know, dollars and, and using DeFi protocols. And maybe Solana is for, you know, coordinating a global Wi-Fi distribution system or, you know, the kind of stuff that we've seen tried on this like very low fee uh, setup. It's not to say that it's unusable or whatever, because maybe, you know, I, I only need to do like two transactions a week and that's still enough gas if everybody's doing it, but um, it's just a different use yeah. case, right? But on, on a, I mean, on a global level, what we see just historically rolling back the clock on any piece of technology is lower fees and higher scalability gets adoption, right? And this is not to say that wire transfers are not used anymore. This is not to say that Oracle has gone out of business. Oracle is still a company that exists. They still have a stock that's performed pretty well. Uh, AWS has eaten their lunch, right? And this is not to say this is going to happen here too. But, you know, you can see things like Venmo or, quite frankly, blockchain are really reducing wire transfers, except in a certain type of setting. Even Western Union, right, and MoneyGram and these folks have totally changed the when transfer-wise, have changed how international transfers occur. Blockchain is also that level of disruption to these systems. And so this is not to say there isn't a great future for Ethereum. I think there is. I think it's very hard to look at a lot of the world's population and say, oh, like Ethereum is going to be a, a usable platform for folks here. But who knows? It might be, right? There's a lot of work that could be done to change this sort of drive for monetary focused value accrual into a drive for usability on the network. Can I ask a question on that? Yeah. If, let's say in five years, we're in this hypothetical future where the tech has really developed well, let's just say in the Ethereum ecosystem, and some L2 or some scaling solution, maybe we haven't thought of it, maybe it is a key, ZK, gets us to the point where tran transaction fees are negligible or almost at the cost of Solana. Is there still a need for a Solana in that case um, or not? And I guess if the answer is no, are you sort of bearish that Ethereum could get to this level of scaling needed to match Solana? So Ethereum had this on the roadmap, right? I, I worked in the Ethereum ecosystem in 2020 and 2019 when they were talking about ETH2 as being a scaling endeavor as opposed to something else. And it became something else, right? And so the, the idea now is we're going to keep Ethereum at the same amount of capacity it had before, and we're going to add a bunch of layer 2s and layer 3s and layer 47s on top of it, and we're going to create a, a really <laughs> long nested system. 
Well, <laughs> it's not, right? If you, if you follow the way people talk about this, like L2s are at most today 75 transactions per second. If you really want to get up to really high transaction counts that are capable of supporting something like the stock exchange or Twitter, right, or something like that, you're going to need a huge number of layers involved in that system unless you radically scale the base layer, right? And so this isn't to say that Ethereum couldn't do it, but culturally today, the folks who are in decision-making authority in the Ethereum community, and that's not to say it's centralized, there's many folks involved in making these decisions, but their focus is on driving value, which is not something I'm going to condemn them for, but I, I think it's at odds with the idea that we're going to scale this to be a global platform. I think I think both me and Justin agree with that take. Actually, if you, anyone, mm-hmm. I think our listeners have watched our recent episodes. We have, uh, we had a little Batman with the Buddha belly and we're talking about how Ethereum is trying to be money and also trying to be usable. And those two things are clashing. And we, I've, you know, I've spoken uh, at this at length uh, before and I fully agree with, you know, the fact that they, there's a bit of an identity issue right now. And, um, I think JMO had some good points about that as well. But uh, I will counteract a lot of the other things you said because you're starting to sound like this uh, thesis of like Christix and A16Z last cycle where, you know, blocks. there's not enough block space. There's not enough block space. It's the most uh, biggest commodity. We need more block space. And now we have like shit ton of block space, you know, like no one's using it. I think the use cases of all this block space are not fleshed out. And even hearing Anatoly talk about it, he's like, well, maybe, maybe in a lot of years, we'll see like some use cases. So, so even if you strip out votes on Solana, right? You just look at user transactions on the network. That steady state of transactions is more than all L2s combined and the Ethereum mainnet per second. But that's not right? a that's not a intellectually honest. Um, you know, oh, thing is that to look not at. an intellectually honest argument? Because, like, if I, I can say, like, yeah, I'm willing to spend ten dollars on Solana, I'm willing to spend hundred dollars on gas on Ethereum. And like, if I'm willing to spend ten dollars, yeah, I'll just spam. Like, if I'm a bot, but like, no one's and, and just spamming, right? Like, look at it. Or, look at it this way: like, if it's like there's MEV to pick up that's worth a hundred dollars, and I'm willing to spend ninety dollars to pick it up. This is, yeah. you know, potentially true for any chain. That ninety dollars as a number of transactions could be like quadrillion transactions, and then you're like, look, we're we're getting quadrillion transactions. It doesn't it doesn't necessarily like reflect on anything, right? I I, I actually would not agree with that. I think if you actually look at the MEV opportunities on Solana, they're more than they are on Ethereum because of the gas fees on Ethereum today. But I think the actual problem we're getting at is everyone prefers to transact on the Ethereum L1 than transacting on an L2. My, my, my point, just to make it clear, so like, let's say when CL was trying to go to Frentech and, and kind of edge, edge the yeah. bots there on, on Frentech, we, you know, we had the the biggest number of transactions, like an op. You know, it was, it was like I guess on on base, just like a huge yeah. number of transactions. And somebody could say, like, look, adoption, like base is getting more than all the other L twos combined, and it's because it's it's cheap and like there's like an MEV opportunity. It's not really reflecting. Oh, like a real sorry, use I wasn't case. making I wasn't making a a user base argument. What I was saying is when you get like. A, a core thesis of technology, which is true back to the 1940s when we first started building computers, is every time you make something cheaper by an order of magnitude, you get an entirely new class of entrepreneur building on that system and building totally different types of applications than you ever would have seen before, right? And so this is not to say that uh, you know Asana is going to steal all the existing use cases for Ethereum. I think that's not at all what we've seen. And what we actually see in our developer numbers is most developers on Solana did not start on Ethereum, right? They chose Solana as the first network they're building on, or maybe they were part of the Bitcoin community early on, um, but they are not coming from Ethereum, right? There, there's this sort of idea that, like, develop, you know, there's this big migration of devs from, you know, Ethereum to Solana or something like that, and that's actually not what's happening. We're seeing net new developers come into the ecosystem. But, you know, the transition from something like 3G to 4G technology change the entire revolution of what was possible to build in the mobile space. That didn't displace fixed landline internet connections. It added an entirely new use case, a new category. And, and that's sort of, I think, the thing that I, I think is really important here, is that we're looking at transactions that are disruptively cheap compared to what you can get in other networks and have much higher throughput and much faster finality. That is going to mean a different type of product is built on Solana than is built on Ethereum. 
that's not like how, bearish how on Ethereum. How long do you think it's going to be until we see those products? Or um, we have them already. But, I mean, something that is like meaningful for like economic world activity. Like, is there something already that kind of seems like like that? Um, I mean, can you say a little bit more about the kind of thing you'd be looking for? So something that you know that scale is really needed. I think Anatoly's kind of optimistic that in the future, in many years, we will see those things. You seem to be saying that they're already here, but I, I don't know that anything, is there something that is, let's say, superior to Web2 that we need on Web3 that needs all this block space to be cheap that has a meaningful economic impact today? Uh, meaning, I mean, I think there's nothing in blockchain that has a global level meaningful economic impact today, to, to be fair. But I think if we look at the kinds of things where you could see that coming from, the decentralized physical infrastructure space is very interesting to that effect. Um, I think you can also look at groups like Sling and, and uses of USDC and other international stable coins that are genuinely cheaper than using Web2 payment rails to send money abroad. And that's a very interesting component for this too. But uh, look, I think as an industry, we are we have less than one percent of the world using blockchain. Like we are still so early on all of these use cases um, in general right now that it's it's hard to say anything in crypto has had a world level economic impact. Yeah. So it seems like you know the bull case for Solana is that at some point, like you know, it, it's a it's a very forward looking bet, right? Um, yeah. I mean, once the, we get look, more the users, bear when... case. Let me give you the bear case for Solana. We don't need more block space. The, the bear case for Solana is that blockchain never really catches on to the extent where we need more block space and we need fast finality and we need a high number of transactions and we need low fees. It's entirely theoretically possible that that is just not something that the industry ever needs and there isn't real mass adoption ever. And you know we don't see things like social networks built on blockchain. We don't see things like payment networks built on blockchain. We don't see payroll moving over. We don't see you know all the, all the ideas of gaming on blockchain, they all fail, right? I think that the, the, the bear case for Solana is basically that crypto also fails in its adoption play. And in that what, what, world- What percentage do you put on that world? Like, you know- Pretty low. You, you have to put a probability on it. I mean, I think if that if that actually happens and we, we fast forward five to seven years and fundamentally the size of the crypto market is twice what it is today, as an industry, we failed, right? And, and that would be, if your vision for the future is that crypto is going to be about this size forever, that's a reason to be bearish on Solana. When you say size, do you mean market cap or do you mean users or what exactly do you mean? Because those things users, are be transactions. different. Users, transactions, real world use cases, right? Yeah, because it's, it's like, entirely possible that like, a monetary story does emerge for, let's say, Bitcoin, and then the, the market's massive. But yeah, like none of those things that you right. mentioned of like Web2 transitions happen. Yeah, it's also possible that Bitcoin is the only thing that survives, right? That the monetary properties of Bitcoin and that proof of, like in a world where we're maximizing for monetary utility, proof of work is a genius, beautiful system that blows proof of stake out of the water. Right. If what we're if we're, we're focusing on is usability and smart contracts and the ability to actually have this stuff support millions of concurrent users, right? Like you, you need systems that are not Bitcoin for that. And proof of work is a really bad system for those sorts of use cases. But you know, Bitcoin has this like cockroach ability where even when you knock off sixty percent of the miners, like due to a change in policy in China, the blocks get super slow for two days they slowly recover, right? It is a very resilient system that has, you know, the characteristics that if monetary, if monetary store of value is the only use case for crypto that lasts long-term, yeah, that you could see Bitcoin as being the only thing that survives. Uh, I, I do appreciate the economic honesty. You know, we've talked about this, you know, over a few episodes where Bitcoin is very clearly one thing. We all know what that is. We don't have to get into it. Ethereum is sort of in this, like, you know, what would be considered like the deadly middle ground where, it's not really that scalable and it's not perfectly money. It's in this middle. Solana goes completely to one end of that. I think we can all agree on that. We're obviously trying to scale as much as possible at the base layer. Um, but as we've discussed, like not these clear money or financial properties yet could be in the future. You're competing in that space. And it seems to me that there's quite a lot of other chains com competing in that space that I frankly don't know too much about, but I assume you know more than me, like 
Aptos, Sui, Near, several others, right? <laughs> yeah. Monad, Monad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Whatever that is, right? So in, in this world where there's like a lot of people competing for these like commodity of very cheap, very low value block space. I don't mean that in a disparaging way. Yeah. How does a chain differentiate, right? Because I think it's clear that Bitcoin differentiates. Ethereum is going its own way. We'll see if that works. But if everyone's just fighting for this cheap commoditized block space, what makes Solana different from any other chain that tries to do the same thing? Yeah. So there, there's a few things. Today, there really is no chain that has the performance characteristics of Solana. Uh, Aptos and Sui are both pretty new, but their transactions per second are, you know, 100 or less right, when you're looking at those sorts of things. Um, and the other piece, too, is Solana is one global state, the same way Ethereum, you know, the Ethereum L1 is one global state. And that makes it, uh, there's a ton of things you can do in one global state that you cannot do with sharded ecosystems or multi-layer ecosystems. Uh, and so that is another really big differentiating point. I think um, a good analogy here is looking at what, like, TSMC has done. So Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Corporation, there's no fab or foundry in the world that can compete with TSMC because for 20 years they've been pumping basically all of their profits into making technology better. And for Solana, this is Firedancer, right? This is a new validator client that's anywhere between 10 to 100 times faster than the current version of Solana. Um, it's probably a year or so out. It just hit testnet, right? Uh, and so that is just a very different vision of how you actually hit success here. And and you know, I think your 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 sort of two ends of the spectrum thing is completely correct. Solana, you know, Tolly has said before, over the long term, the cost of a Solana transaction should be as close to the cost of running that computer as possible. And the fees come from other places. They come from stake-weighted QoS. They come from priority fees for writing to certain pieces of state. And so Solana, you know, is, is sort of all in on that thesis of massive scalability and see what people build on top of it. So, like, um, I'm, I'm curious, like, what is the defensibility of IP in this space? Because you mentioned, you know, Taiwan, computer chips, like all this stuff. There's yeah. a lot of special sauce that goes into these things. And as Justin alluded, you know, there's a if like Ethereum was V1 and then the smart contract and Solana was V2, we're seeing like the, the next, like the third gen and maybe like the third gen will not be successful. Maybe this will be like DeFi 2.0, which, you know, fell flat on its face. Um, but like potentially Monad, Justin, we're going to get Keone on uh, pretty soon so you can learn about what's what that is. But uh, regardless, you know, there are other very smart people and teams that will not even just now, like in the, into the next 10 years, continue to try to build a better version. So are oh, we yeah. kind of basically betting that like the team and the current path and the technology path is is like going to be superior long-term? So over like... Yeah, so the other piece here that's important is Solana is the first parallel blockchain that doesn't involve sharding to achieve parallel ability, right? EVM is aggressively sequential. Every transaction takes a global write lock. And look, the, the folks at Monad are doing incredible work. I think it's the most interesting thing to happen to the EVM in, gosh, six years, basically since the EVM was invented, right? They're the first people who have actually tried to scale the EVM in a way that is meaningful and difficult and not just marketing. I, I think it's, in, it's really interesting to see what they're building. One of the things that's challenging about scaling the EVM out to 10,000 or 20,000 or 100,000 transactions per second is transactions are non-deterministic on EVM. So there are some key architectural differences that have been made in how Solana is constructed that's designed for long-term scalability. So, for example, before a transaction executes on Solana, it has to specify the accounts in the state that it wants to talk to. And so only those accounts and only that state, there's a write lock taken out on. On EVM, a transaction actually can go any which way once you start computing it. This is why wallet drainers are such a problem in EVM, and they're less of a problem in the Solana ecosystem, because you don't necessarily know what all of the interactions that a, a transaction is going to touch when it executes an EVM. There's some really powerful advantages of that, but there's also some disadvantages, and one of those disadvantages is it's very hard to parallelize. So, uh, you know, Monad has uh, a certain sp uh, amount of overhead. 
because they have to do stochastic analysis of what is this transaction likely to do. And then they need reserved compute capacity to actually correct that if that ends up not being the case. And Keone and the guys over there are incredibly smart. I, I've been watching what they're doing, and it's really cool to see. But you know, th this is a this is the thing where there are limits to what different types of VMs can support over the long term. But all the work that the Solana Foundation does and people building on Solana is is open source. We hope it makes every blockchain better the same way that the work being done on Ethereum makes Solana better, right? That mm -hmm. every blockchain owes a huge debt to Bitcoin and also owes a huge debt to Ethereum for creating this whole concept of smart contracts. You mentioned the Solana Foundation and I wanted to ask just a little bit about centralization, securities yeah. laws, etc. Um so I sort of take a my own approach where I think intuitively, like, is this an investment somewhat like a security? For me, I actually think Ethereum is somewhat like a security. We've talked about this before. Very small amount of developers actually decide what happens to the Ethereum chain. People like us that are quite big stakeholders don't have much of a say. And there is this centralized component. And to me, that makes it a security. I don't think it should be regulated by the SEC. I think it's something different. But I think if we can make that case for Ethereum, we can make that case even more so for Solana. I think Solana would be in the blockchain would be in much worse shape if the Solana Foundation disappeared as opposed to the Ethereum Foundation. So I'm curious, like, what are your thoughts there? Is how is Solana not a security? Um, we can skip that question if you want to. And then, you know, where does Solana go without the Solana Foundation? Is there still going to be development um, on the blockchain if something happened tomorrow? Yeah, the short answer is yes, right? The, the team building Fire Dancer. Uh, is totally independent from the Solana Foundation. Um, they have their own monetary incentives to create a validator client for the Solana network. And so I think there would be uh, the, the production of cool, awesome software for the, for the Solana network would absolutely continue. The Solana Foundation is an important part of the Solana ecosystem. It's not to say there would be no effect if it went away the same way there would certainly be an effect if the Ethereum Foundation went away, but Ethereum would certainly survive that, and I think Solana would too. But you you have to recognize, like, of course, these teams are somewhat disconnected, but there's a ton of coordination that happens behind the scenes. Like, I'm not just picking yeah. on Solana here. I've said the same about Ethereum. The Terra docs or the Terra legal docs that came out are really interesting in that we saw these validator group chats where all the validators are actually just sort of like coming together to decide on something um, in what yeah. fits their interest and. I mean, it's not as simple as saying these are independent teams doing their own thing. Like Justin, like stop, uh, like as a, a high frequency trader, this is like the first time with like Fire Dancer and all this stuff that, you know, all these like brains in my industry are actually trying to do something apart from cutting one nanosecond and, and like trying to beat the other guy. So I'm actually yeah. happy that Jump is doing all that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Also like... Check out their talks from Breakpoint. Like they figured out a way to do ED25519 acceleration that is twice as fast as anyone else in the industry. That is not a Solana specific innovation. Lots of blockchains use math. Uh, th this will benefit everyone in the space, right? So I, I think the cool part here is that like, I, I think we've had a lot of like B quality folks operating in crypto for a very long time because the industry hasn't been taken particularly seriously. And there are some incredible minds, right? Vitalik, Anatoly, fill in the blank. There's lots of incredible folks who believe in blockchain. But the average blockchain developer is not as good as the average high-frequency trader developer, right? I think that's not this, a controversial statement. Or the average is, embedded is... systems engineer at Qualcomm, right? Yeah, uh, no, this is a great point. Um, yeah. And these are huge boosts to the entire ecosystem to get these folks involved. I, I do want to go back, Justin, to one thing you were saying, which is I'm not sure that coordination is the same thing as centralization. I think if you look at something like the Linux Foundation and the way Linux works, there are a group of people who are very closely aligned, apart from the University of Michigan, uh, in terms of what should actually go into the Linux kernel and how that development should be done. And it's done by people all around the world. I mean, CERN operates in the same way. The entire like academic particle physics community is a diverse set of stakeholders, a diverse set of funding, but they're all working towards sort of a common goal. And I think that's kind of the end state vision for blockchain. I, I don't see a world where the average person is voting on governance decisions and EIP proposals and that sort of thing, because I think the average person is not qualified and doesn't really know what's going on. I do think that there is some bag alignment 
within all blockchain governance today that we have to sort of figure out a way to address. I, you know, to go back full circle, I think that that's sort of the group that captured Bitcoin back in the block, the block size debates. And there's a little bit of that influence in Ethereum to sort of push it to be value accruing at the expense of scale. But these are natural forces in any sort of group of humans trying to figure out what to do. And this is why I think the biggest problems in blockchain over the next five years are not technical. They're all human. I think, the, like Austin, I think the stance you're taking is that you know, crypto as money is a meme. Um, and you know, you're basically saying that Solana shouldn't be money. It's not a money. If someone is buying Solana, like what kind of bet is it? Is it kind of this bet on a future, this utopian future, um, where so many things like run on blockchain rails? Um, do you think it's kind of like a shelling point for communities to form saying, hey, like I own Solana, you own Solana, you know, let's build on Solana? Um, do, do you kind of view it as like a Tesla-like asset? Um, just because, you yeah. know. Tesla has like a crazy premium, doesn't generally, you know, cash, that doesn't like really pay dividends. Um, do you think it's like, what kind of asset is Solana trying to be? Yeah, so I think there's there's one important characteristic of the Solana network that I don't think any other blockchains have, but correct me if I'm wrong here, which is stake-weighted QoS, which is basically a system where if there's contention for a piece of state, Solana has local fee markets, not global fee markets. So what that means is there's a really hot NFT mint or something along those lines, fees can spike just for that NFT mint because that is a uh, a serial transaction, right? If you're trying to write to the same piece of state, that has to go sequentially. And stake-weighted QoS is a way of basically prioritizing transactions to land, um, where if they're sent from a validator that has stake, that is weighted higher than a transaction sent from a validator without stake. So there is a world long-term where, you know, the same way that high-frequency trading firms uh, pay a bunch of money to get faster data from stock exchanges that, you know, a whole bunch of business and corporate actors own soul simply so they can stake to a validator so they can provide a certain amount of access to to the network during periods where there might be something that's like state specific that's contested, like an arbitrage, for example, or something along those lines. But I think in a more broad sense, you're you're buying a share of a global computer. I mean, share like a security, but like you're, you're buying time on the global state machine that is Solana. You're buying the ability to send transactions over the long term, and you're believing that that is going to be valuable, right? That the inflation rate on Solana diminishes at about one and a half percentage points per year down to a steady state of one and a half percent, which is the same inflation rate that Ethereum has. Um, you know, and, and this is sort of that long-term bet. I think it's very fair to look at the Solana ecosystem and go, this is a few years behind, uh, sorry, look at the Solana ecosystem and say this is a few years behind Ethereum. I, the Ethereum tooling is better than the tooling on Solana, right? The, the, the average Ethereum dev has been through two more bear mar one more bear market than the average Solana dev, right? But if you're looking at it as, as a future bet on, on that thesis that one global state is going to be a really attractive place to build applications. Austin, so as, as someone that missed uh, missed out on Solana when it was $2, when it was at $12 in this recent bear market, how should I personally be thinking about what a good value is for me, right? And as someone that would be interested in buying Sol, um, you know, like what makes it attractive now at say $60 versus even more attractive at 20 or at, you know, 300? Yeah. What, like, what are you looking at personally and what should I be tracking? So. Unfortunately, the lawyers at the Solana Foundation will certainly not let me say anything about this. <laughs> what I can say, though, is I, I genuinely do not know what drives price in this market. It does not make any sense to I, me. How do you feel when you see, like, because, you know, you're, you're talking about this as, like, yeah. you know, if you want to secure your future ability to use Solana in 10 years when all this cool stuff might happen, you might want to buy some now so you secure it. But what we're actually seeing is, you know, apes, whatever, good apes, whatever. I don't know. They're 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 putting in like fifty percent of their net worth on on this kind of thing and leveraging long on bonk and like all this other stuff. Do you do you just ignore it? Do you see that as like people going to be people? You know, like this kind of thing. How how do you like mentally? Because you're you're a very serious guy. You have a serious role, but you 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 know that this matters a lot. Oh, of course. And just to be clear, I'm not suggesting anyone should buy Solana so they can use it in 10 years. I think the uh, the lawyers would also be unhappy with that sort of a statement. Um, but, you know, like at, at its core, um, we see people building things and trying stuff out on all of these networks. I think it's hard to look at ApeCoin 
and say it made sense to spend $3,500 in gas fee to claim that airdrop or the crash we've seen in Frentech, right? Like that these things are actually like sustainable long-term whatever. Like in some level, there's a lot of tulip trading on blockchain, right? And eventually the Dutch tulip market collapses, but that doesn't mean that the underlying network or the underlying technology uh, sort of falls into that category. To use a pretty crude analogy, the collapse of Enron did not prove that deregulated energy markets were a bad idea. It proved that Enron was a bad idea, right? And so I think some of this is just enough monkeys on enough typewriters are eventually going to figure out like what are absolute killer use cases for all of these platforms and all of this tech. And that's awesome to see. But like, it's sort of like the Wild West in the early days of like the oil markets, right? You would see these incredible boom and bust cycles of refineries, of, of, of everyone in that space, let alone like classic good old fashioned gold mining and gold rushes. Like the, a lot of the dynamics we are seeing today are very classic dynamics of markets that still just need five or 10 years to mature. I, I mean, I fully agree with that part. The, we're at this wild west stage where people don't realize what they're doing just like my final point and, and we can kind of go to our last segment but as my closing kind of uh argument i will say that yes like this is sort of like a situation where solana not just solana you know a lot, a lot of these l1 and other tokens become like tulips like you describe where people just start speculating like crazy on them um and i understand you know you have a legal position all this stuff and totally is like a, an amazing guy technologist etc but uh, ignoring the fact that this is game is going on, this Tulip game, um, I think sociologically, anthropologically is very important what's happening. It's not just like a random yeah. Tulip thing. I think it's people trying to organize community money as I've, as I've co coined it. Um, people are trying to build communities, find like-minded individuals around the world and have this like, you know, asset that they try to get rich together and congregate together. Now that's happening outside of, like you said, all the technology, all the amazing stuff that's being built. And, and that's, that's true. They are separate, but that game is going on. And, yeah. um, I, you know, there's two issues. One, the technology I see is like validation when the apes go crazy, like the apes might be like playing their games and short squeezing people. And they're like, oh, look, we told you the technology is good. It got three times better this month. Right. <laughs> right. But this is always the this is the what I mean by like I don't know what makes these markets like genuinely I don't know what makes these markets move. Was ETH ninety five percent worse when it went from twelve hundred dollars to eighty dollars? Was was Solana uh when it was two hundred and sixty dollars uh, whatever math that is times a better network than it is today. No, the Solana network is probably 20 times stronger today than it was in November of 2021, right? right. There, there's more exactly. developers, there's more senior developers, there's way more ecosystem adoption. The technology is way further forwards than it was before. Um, you know, traders are going to be traders, right? And they're going to do whatever they do. I, I think the real test for any of these is how many serious engineers are actually building on these systems. Ethereum has a lot of really serious folks building on it. Solana does too. And, and for me, that is the best indication of how likely a network is to continue to be relevant into the future. Now, if that means the global crypto market is $100 million or $100 trillion, right? Make your own bets and figure out your own assumptions and whatever. Do your own research on that. But it is these networks that have very serious computer science folks working on them that are most likely to continue existing into the future and can, are most likely, I think, to find breakout use cases, to find mass adoption, to, to find all of these things that we're, we're all kind of looking for in this industry. Um, yeah, I think we totally. always underestimate what's possible in five years and we massively overestimate what's possible in two years. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think we're very appreciative that you uh, came on. I'm glad to hear a soul is not trying to be money. It's trying to actually accrue value in the long term. And um, I think, you know, I am personally very interested in the discussion of what all these people are doing. And I, I don't just see them as traders. Yeah. I think it's like, you know, traders are a subsection, but there, there's a lot of other people that, that participate that have normal jobs. They're not, you know, professional traders. And we will continue to uh, discuss this into the future with, uh, you know, uh, different episodes as we do this, but I, I love that you came on and uh, we're willing to give, you know, your, your perspective on this. Um, yeah. Thanks for the invite. This is a lot of fun. Really appreciate you guys taking the time and also taking the, the brain space to kind of dig in on these topics. 
Absolutely. And we're not done yet. We have one more segment, Austin. All right. And hopefully you can join us on it. Yeah. So we have the pasta of the week segment. Um, Love it. We each kind of uh, saw something maybe that we want to uh, quote. Um, maybe Taiki, you want to kick off? Yeah, sure. So I want to talk about the Certic tweet um, that I think is a little relevant uh, to today's topic um, around you know, the Solana phone just having a backdoor um, and they have like this one minute video. Um, yeah. And then do you, do you want to pull up the other VE horny tweet? Uh, I, I, can't, I can't believe I just said VE horny, but I feel like every, <laughs> it's kind of like this meme where, you know, everything that sort of touches just turns into a pile of shit. <laughs> I mean, I, like, I, I mean, I, I respect auditors and whatnot, but do you kind of want to give a rebuttal on like what happened here? Yeah, let me start off by saying auditors are the most important people in this entire crypto ecosystem. Uh, they charge a lot of money. They charge a lot of money for a reason. Most audit firms are great. Uh, get recommendations from your friends. Please get your code audited. I don't know what was going on with this tweet they put out. Uh, they basically showed that if you can break the bootloader on an Android phone, that you can compromise a Bitcoin wallet. Which, sure, right? Like, it, it, to, to me, this was sort of something that doesn't really make any sense, and uh, there was no action necessary, right? There's no bug report that they filed with us that said, hey, we'd found this problem in the Solana mobile stack. Like, here, we're submitting a bug report for it. This is the basic thing of if you have physical access to a computer, a hacker can always do something. And this is this is why, you know, air-gapped signing can be really important for some folks. Keeping your ledger physically secure somewhere is also important. Uh, yeah, there's nothing in this video that had anything to do with the Solana phone. It just had to do with an Android phone. And the same thing is, of course, possible on an iOS phone. Is your Solana phone your daily driver? No, it's not. Um, I I am very much stuck on iMessage lock-in. Same, same. Yeah. 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 Justin, do you want to share pasta? Absolutely. I uh, tried to pick something that was uh, odd topic today. So I... <laughs> We've been talking a lot about the the value accrual to Sol, the value accrual to ETH. Um, if Sol is just this like commodity, where is the value going to accrue? We talked a lot about that. I think Austin made some awesome points, but Evan, who shout out to Evan, huge super fan of the show, <laughs> tweeted out this uh, fundamentals meme, and uh, this is also what we talked about at the end of the show: is like where do fundamentals fit in? Sadly, they don't really fit in anywhere at this point, and. Coins go up for a number of reasons, usually narrative and uh, mimetic based. But um, yeah, that's my my pasta of the week. I, I love the response there. There's like a response by Midi. It's even better. Where Solana is going? <laughs> I didn't see that. It doesn't need fundamentals. <laughs> this is like a little little Suzu uh, copy pasta there. On uh, yeah, you won't need charts, but uh, I love that. That's awesome. Oh, and there's a oh, whoa! Is that oh, your wow, alt this... account, Austin? Is that your alt account? That is not my alt account. I I said layer thirty sevens. I will have you know. <laughs> I don't think oh, we need forty two is... layers. Just thirty seven. This is very good. Uh, I'll share. I'll share my my pasta. Uh, so Cryptolin uh, made a very good point in in this uh, tweet. I love the picture as well, but this was epic. So. If we're going to win the, the fight against, you know, TradFi, uh, I'll say this at least properly, they need to underestimate us. Um, and, you know, we need to act uh, stupid. And everyone's doing a really good job of that. I think the price action and a lot of random tokens that we're seeing over the last few weeks, even though it's, uh, it's great to see the activity back. Yeah, you know, it's not going to make people take us more seriously. And hopefully that'll give us a bit more of, a, of a, some time to keep building the, you know, the, inside the Trojan horse while... You know, the, the senators are thinking that we're just uh, doing stupid stuff, which we are doing. <laughs> we are doing stupid stuff. <laughs> How about you, Austin? Did you, did you have anything that you kind of caught your eye this week? Yeah, there was a great tweet a few days ago from the Stalwart account. Um, I think you guys can probably pull this up here, too. Uh, the tweet reads, stocks are surging. Rumors of an S&P 500 <laughs> ETF. <laughs> just, this is, this is, God, this is like, this is like the core of the best part of crypto Twitter. There's so many bad parts of crypto Twitter, but just these these dumb insider jokes that are both making fun of ourselves and making fun of the existing economic system. This is what does it for me. I mean, I'm sure is you're there... starting to get asked, like, when is the Solana ETF? <laughs> I was just about to ask. I was going to say, is there a Solana BlackRock ETF in the works? Ask I know BlackRock. You can't say 
<laughs> Genuinely, uh, they don't. It's not like they'd give us a heads up on this sort of thing. They anyway. bought it twelve dollars. That's what drove the price all the way up to sixty. All right. Well, I think everybody had amazing pastas this week. The 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 quality was very high. I think Justin's has to win just because the responses kind of just keep keep upping the level. So that that whole thread was was epic. So. Justin, you're, you're the pasta of the week winner. Uh, I'm honored. I think 17 you know, episodes. I think this is my first win ever. So, so Austin, you're my lucky charm. <laughs> I'll, I'll have to bring you back in a year when Solana's <laughs> killing it and doing amazingly as well. Yeah, when fire dancers. All right. Yeah. 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 Thanks, guys. Thanks for the amazing episode, Austin. Again, uh, Thank much you. love. Thank you for coming on and hope to chat again. Great. Right.